0: Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 523rd episode of the Hollywood Reporters Awards Chatter Podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest on this very special episode is one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. And in the eyes of many, the greatest filmmaker alive today, Martin Scorsese. Over the course of a career spanning nearly 60 years, Scorsese has directed 26 narrative features and 16 documentary features, among them... 1973's Mean Streets, 1976's Taxi Driver, 1980's Raging Bull, 1990's Goodfellas, 1995's Casino, 2006's The Departed, 2013's The Wolf of Wall Street, and most recently, 2023's Killers of the Flower Moon, an adaptation of David Grant's best-selling book, with a script co-written by Scorsese with Eric Roth, produced and directed by Scorsese, and starring his two great muses, Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio, along with breakout Lily Gladstone, about a series of murders in Osage Nation after oil was discovered on tribal land back in the 1920s. Described by Time Magazine as one of the 100 most influential people in the world, Scorsese has been the recipient of just about every honor that exists for a filmmaker, including an Oscar, three Emmys, and a Grammy, four BAFTAs, three Golden Globes, and two Directors Guild Awards, an AFI Life Achievement Award, a Film Society of Lincoln Center Tribute, a Kennedy Center Honor, Cecil B. DeMille Award at the Golden Globes, a BAFTA Fellowship, a National Endowment for the Humanities Jefferson Lecture, a Robert Osborne Award from the TCM Film Festival, and Career Achievement Awards from the Venice Film Festival, the Cannes Film Festival, and the Berlin Film Festival. For Killers of the Flower Moon specifically, he has already been awarded the Best Film and Best Director National Board of Review Awards, and the Best Film New York Film Critics Circle Award, and Killers was chosen as one of 2023's 10 Best Films by the AFI Awards. He was nominated for the Best Director and Best Screenplay Golden Globe Awards, and he is nominated for the Best Director of a Feature Film Directors Guild Award and the Best Director and Best Adapted Screenplay Critics' Choice Awards, with Oscar nominations almost surely to follow. Over the course of a conversation at the Hotel Bel-Air, the 81-year-old and I discussed the tug-of-war that he felt as a kid growing up in Little Italy between his faith and the reality of his life and how that shaped the films that he went on to make. The origins and evolution of his special relationships with De Niro and DiCaprio, with whom he has made ten features and six features, respectively. How Killers of the Flower Moon is sort of an amalgam of his gangster films, period costume drama, family film, And trilogy of films about faith, plus much more. And so without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Let me just say, first of all, I'm so honored and grateful that you're doing this. Thanks for making the time. And, you know, going back to the very beginning, I know born in Queens, raised in Little Italy, I think from eight on, right? From Eight
1: years old on, yes.
0: How do you think that that place, and the fact that you had health problems as a kid, how do you think that shaped you, you and
1: your interests? Well, um, the health problems really, uh, uh really, uh, restricted so much normal activity, which was running, laughing, playing, uh, sports of all kinds were forbidden. Um, and this happened, uh, when I was three years old, so 1945. And, um, I was, uh, maybe they overreacted, but I know, I remember, it was real. The asthma, um, the asthma was real. I like could feel it in my lungs. I know what it felt like. I know I couldn't breathe. And uh, it stayed with me to now. It's been worse in, uh, at times, but uh, kind of under control now to a certain extent. But at that time, you know, Queens to me was, uh, um, the Corona, was like this little magic land. that had little trees, and there were there was grass here and there, and we could go to the... Um, we could go to the um, World's Fair grounds, right. and I could stay at least fifteen minutes before I started gagging up and not being able to breathe from the from the uh, grass. Um, and so, but it, it had it had its space, and it was like a little village. It was really sweet, predominantly at that time Italian American.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But then, in forty nine, I think it was, we were in a two family house. My father got into a, a, a kind of an altercation with the landlord who was living above us. And uh, it turned physical, there were fights, so all kinds of things going on. And we were, uh, uh, we had to uh, leave Corona. And after being almost, in a sense, coddled there, suddenly we had to go back to Elizabeth Street. When I say go back to, that's where my father was born and where my mother was born. Mm-hmm. My father was born in 241 Elizabeth Street in the, the third floor front. Got it. And my, his parents were still living there, my grandparents these Scorsese's. Um, my mother was born across the street, two thirty-two Elizabeth Street. Oh wow! Wow. Yeah. That's gross and narrative. Uh, yeah. yeah. So so they when they got married, I think in the early thirties, their whole dream was to get out of that neighborhood. Right. Right. Uh, so it was cool. very tough area. Yes. Uh, particularly, was right on the Bowery too. Right. And the Bowery then was the Bowery. It was not. It's Lionel Rogosin's great film on the Bowery. Take a look at that. Yeah, That's yeah. what it was. Um, was the was the dregs of the gangs of New York, right? You know, people always uh, talk about Sammy's Bowery Follies and Sammy's Romanian and all that. Oh, and All was so much fun. It was tough.
0: And you've talked oh, about it I mean, like looking out your window. Well, when, I, when I got it.
1: there, they said well, the problem was that we 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 were we had to leave Corona, and there were, there was no place to go, so we had to move in with my grandparents. Okay on the third floor front at 241 Elizabeth Street from, uh, in which my father was born. Yes. And so we were all living on top of each other, myself and my brother and uh, my parents and my grandparents and my, uh, my, my, brother's, uh, my father's younger sister and her husband and her baby. Um, and, um, uh, you know, he was one of seven children. My mother was one of seven or eight. So there were lots of aunts and uncles and everybody around. The place was teeming. Yeah. And it was, I looked out the window of the third floor front, and um, I looked down the street, and it definitely was a cross between Bruegel and Bosch, you know, with maybe a little George Gross thrown in there, <laughs> you know, uh, and some good. Every now and then, there's a little Renoir in right, the corner, right, you know right, what I'm saying? Right. Not bad, not bad. <laughs> I mean, there was a the flourish of color and people, an incredible amount of grocery stores and pork stores and fish stores, and... Um, um, meat, mar- uh, meat stores. I was still there. Mary, the butcher, Mary Albanese. She lasted until a hundred years old. Her, oh her son God. just died. Mo, he was ninety-five. And I would hang out there in in uh, in the butcher shop. We just watch them cut the meat, and uh, it was like an art. Really, quite something. But um, this was um, the funeral parlor in every block, you know. Uh, and and so um, this, but looking out the window from that third floor front gave me a panoramic, uh, vista vision view. Yeah. I like IMAX, but this division is close to IMAX, you right, know? It right. was sort of like looking at IMAX right. from the window of this broigelian carnival going on outside, which was good and bad and mixed together. And people, then when they were, I always tell the story, i do forget, Mo the Butcher, Mary's son, with a baseball bat, not baseball, a uh, stickball bat, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, running after the rats. Because <laughs> everybody, then everybody would chase him and uh, because it was fun to get the rats. Right. You know, we had to kill the rats. Of course, no, because it was a very, very dangerous place in terms of uh, the turn of the century, the turn of the 19th century to 20th. Elizabeth Street was not, had the distinction, dubious distinction, of having the highest infant mortality rate Ugh. from cholera and all these things. So cleanliness was very, very important, and the place around us was filthy. Right. So people were constantly cleaning. Right. You know, and trying their best to keep their noses and their mouths above the water and, make, and raise their children in a different world. Right. You know?
0: Well, I know another kind of thing that started with childhood. You've spoken about—I'm just going to list a few things. I think, is it Father Principe? Is that how you say it? Yeah, Principe. Principe? Yes, I mean, yeah. Uh yeah. This is a young local priest who you've said would take kids to the movies, I think. Yes. Uh, you were an altar boy. You spent months at a seminary studying to be a priest. It seems like uh, much of your life and work since then— has been about the conflict between what is taught in church and then what goes out, what goes on in the well, real world. It, it seemed right?
1: people was trying. I was trying to make sense of it. Yeah. And around the corner, uh, on Prince Street, going towards Mott, is St. Patrick's Old Cathedral, which was the first Catholic cathedral in New York, 1802, I think it was built, and it has a wonderful history. And the wall, the original wall, is still there. The cemetery is still there. And um, I wound up going to school there. Um, because they said, you go to school, go around the corner, you sign you up. And I said, but there's all these different, I was in a public school in, in Queens. And suddenly I was thrown in there with these, um, nuns, uh, from, uh, I think sisters of, and maybe the sisters of charity. I'm not quite sure. They're... Anyway, Elizabeth, uh, Mother Seton, I think was their, uh, their, originator. And, um, um, they were all Irish. I spoke of an Irish brogue. Now this was an Italian neighborhood, um, and based on the Irish who were there before, all like a la gangs in New York. Right. In okay? and, and any event, um, I found that I had to fit in there. Um, but I was also limited there, too. I could not uh, do anything if they went on field trips. I was left back, you know, I, I, to do paintings and right. things for right. puppet shows, whatever. And um, the, the biggest influence, really, was the peace and quiet inside the church, the, which is now a basilica. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, that was a big save saving grace because it was so for a child to have that shock that trauma of such a change so rapidly in one day um i don't know how to make sense of it all uh everybody talking the family about love and staying together in the meantime in the streets it was pretty tough uh, and so uh ultimately i think in 53 mm-hmm. i was 10 or 11 father francis principe be, uh, was assigned to the parish as a parish priest he was very young in his early 20s and he made a change. He he made a change from uh, the um, uh, older priests who were there for the older Italians, the Neapolitans, the Calabrese, particularly the Sicilians who were all on Elizabeth Street. And they'd hardly spoke English. So it was distance for us, the church. All it had was the peace and quiet. But when this guy came in, he suddenly took us into the new world. Uh-huh. He gave us Graham Greene to read, Dwight MacDonald, you know, James Joyce. Um, and it went on like this so that... Um, Uh, He opened our minds to the outside world. He said, this is part of an old world that's going. You don't have to live like this. They're good people, he said, but, you know, considerably. I mean, uh, 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 not considerably, but what I mean is, for the most part, good people, because the place also was rife with organized crime.
0: And you You were aware of that even as a kid?
1: Yes. The thing about uh, Principe was that he, um, he introduced us to listen to classical music. We heard classical music all the time on the radio and on television, but through cinema, through movies, and uh, we became so familiar, it became so familiar to us. But then t- the whole concept of city and really listening to it was something else. Well, there was Tchaikovsky or Rachmaninoff or Beethoven um, and then ultimately Mozart, etc. But the, um, that and uh, 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 critiquing films that were popular at the time on the waterfront or High Noon or he detested, he loved Westerns, but he detested, um, he detested uh, Johnny Guitar. <laughs> but uh, I, I, yeah, what was he to make of it? It's not really a western; it's some sort of crazy opera. <laughs> and
0: so he was really the guy, though, who first made you helped you to fall in love with the movies.
1: No, not necessarily, because yeah. what was happening was that there was some peace in the church, right. in the basilica, and I became part of the. Uh, I would do you know uh, uh, different uh, uh, benedictions. I would be there and uh, different different rituals during the day, in the evening, whatever, but. Uh, what else they could do with me was to take me to the movies, and so the movie theater—it uh, was almost interchangeable right. to a certain extent. And the visualization of um, the, the visualization of uh, religious themes, so to speak, or concepts—you see that in the church and the plaster saints and. The Stations of the Cross, um, uh, the, state, the statue of Saint Rocco pointing to the cut in his in his leg, with the dog sitting at his at his feet. Uh, all of this, um, Saint Martin cutting cutting the robe in half to give to the beggar, um, the souls in Purgatory, uh, Jesus in the sepulchre laid out. Right. I mean, with candles that you can light in front of him. All these things were very vivid, mixed with film.
0: Right, right.
1: They all blended
0: together. So when you, you go off to NYU, I think in 1960, and it seems like basically the next decade you're there as an undergrad, you're there as a film school student, and then teaching a bit. And I guess the the uh, just to talk about that period, you, you dedicated Raging Bull to a teacher you had yeah. there. Uh, you have said that it was the best time to be a film student because of the fact that uh, Cassavetes had just made Shadows. Just, you know, if we were to go back to that period where you were really yourself falling in love with the idea of becoming a filmmaker, it seems, whether it's shadows or other things, what were the, or or this teacher, what were the kinds of, if you think back, like what got you hooked?
1: It was already hooked. Yeah. The problem was there was no place to put it. Right. right. Because you cannot make a place in the sun. Right. Or the heiress in New York. <laughs> right. <laughs> with a 16 millimeter. I mean, you could, but at that time it was unheard of. Right. You know, Um the equipment, uh, the, 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 the um, industry was here, California. There were some films coming out of New York, but not very many. Blast of Silence, a few others. And um, they were all highly independent. Kubrick, Fear yeah. and Desire, which uh, he disowned. But uh, Killer's Kiss, he didn't, which is pretty interesting. And in any event, um, the point is that to make the leap to think that you can make a film that would be shown in a theater uh, was... I must say, like, being becoming, say, I'm going to be an astronaut. Right. Really, really, yeah. really. And to be, say, you're going to be an astronaut at that time, not now. Now it's common. Right. Then, nobody was, I mean, you could not, it was before Sputnik. Right,
0: right. You know.
1: <laughs> uh, and so uh, the thing about it was um, that right on 59, I saw shadows. And uh, the stories that I had in my life, the stories of things that were happening to me, to my family, um, I was finishing... Cardinal High School. Uh, and I, really, my my, my my grades weren't very good. And so I couldn't get into Fordham or, or any of the other colleges I wanted to. And at that time, Washington Square College, part of NYU, they were accepting everybody, basically. It's very different from the NYU of now. Right. And they also had a film department. And this man named Haig Manoogian, Mnuchin uh, was the head of it, and he had a lot of energy, and uh, he was very tough on people. Uh, you know, uh, he wanted them to be very serious. If you think you're coming here just to watch movies, get out now, and that sort of thing. And so uh, I went to the—I um, was in the, I, I became a student there, saw him on orientation day, give a speech, and I said, that's where I want to go. And he reminded me very much of Father Principe. Mm-hmm. So those two mentors are very key. Absolutely. And he believed in me. He didn't really know from my background or anything like that. I had this, by that point, pent up so much, uh, so many films I had seen, and so much information, cinematic information, but from all over the world. Mm -hmm. And it was a great time. The French cinema, I mean, beyond the Nouvelle Vague, you had Mm -hmm. the Italian New new Wave, the British New Wave. You had Japanese films coming in. This is very, very different. It was uh, Mizuguchi and Kurosawa. And then later Ozu, but 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 those two at first was a big deal. Kinugasa, uh, I'm pronouncing it right, but Gate of Hell, but uh, but primarily Kurosawa and Mizoguchi. Yeah, this was a this was they were shockingly different. And where were you seeing those movies? Eighth um, Street. Yeah, Eighth Street Playhouse, the uh, Art Theater, uh, the Waverly, which is still kind of there, Fifth um, Avenue Cinema. You just walk over to the village because I was. You see what happened is I lived between Houston Street and Prince Street on Elizabeth, <laughs> and if you go north, you're on Houseman Street. To the right is the Bowery, which is the end of life, basically, (laughs) sadly. There were people, you know, they were just gone. And if you go left, for a few blocks, you left the Italian-American or the Sicilian-American, Neapolitan-American medieval village, and you you were in Greenwich Village. Right, right. Right. And you were at NYU, and there was Gertie's Folk City, and there was the Bitter End, and there was the, the uh, Bleecker Street Cinema. I mean, suddenly, what's that film? You walk in and walk in, all of a sudden you see Ordet by Karl Dreyer. I mean, suddenly your mind has opened up. You know, prior to that, I was going uptown to at the Thalia Theater. And they would show two films every day in the summer and you'd walk in the middle of Alexander Nevsky. Yeah, yeah. Right in the middle of it. And, and uh, in those days, you just walked in the middle of those films. And um, this is all around the same time, discovering Russian cinema of the 50s. I mean, yeah. uh, Shukrai and, and um, well, Tarkovsky was starting a little later, but, but um, Kala Tatsov, The Cranes Are Flying, uh, still, I just looked at it recently and about five weeks ago, it's still, it's still a beautiful, beautiful film. And so all these things were very exciting. Polish cinema, Andrzej Wajtas, the, the big, the big Im- impact on me was Ashes and Ashes Diamonds. As well, yeah. And so all this was happening at that time and Cassavetes, who's known as an actor, makes a film called Shadows and I see that. And I realized that with the new equipment uh, that the Nouvelle Vague was using, called the Éclair camera, 16 millimeter, you don't need to have the Mitchell BNCs, you don't need to have the arc lights. I mean, if you can use them later and the subject matter calls for it and you have the budget and you have the time and you can control it, good. But this new equipment gave us freedom. It's very similar to now, where the technology is all new equipment. And, And at that time, I said, if Cassavetes can do this in New York about people that I, I really don't know. They're more bohemian than sure. <laughs> but, but it was very moving and, and, and gripping. Uh, and I said, if you can do this with, with, in New York City, then there's no excuses anymore. Right. We can do anything. We mm-hmm. can do anything. And so I, I found myself at the same time, by the first or second year at NYU. And and it was very small. There were only 30 students in the class. Wow. I mean, I had other classes, uh, uh, classics and, and uh, religion and... Uh, you know, physics and that sort of thing But primarily towards the third and fourth year right. We were making short films With Lucky Land slots, You can get lucky just about anywhere Dearly beloved We are gathered here today to Has anyone seen The Bride and Groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here We were getting lucky in the limo And we lost track of time No, Lucky Land Casino With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry In that case, I pronounce you Lucky In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, speaking of short films, you know, obviously... You are very associated with New York, but I think it was a short film that brought you out to LA for the first time. Almost, uh, I, well, let's see. So uh, it's 1965. This was also, I think, your first yeah. uh, first gangster film. Yes, it was comedy, comedy, and but this was to get a one of numerous honors that you received for your short films that you'd made. But in this case, from the Producers Guild. But I the reason I bring up LA is that again, you're, if somebody said New York filmmaker, you're the first person who comes to mind, and yet. I, L.A., uh, you have also pointed out there might not have been a career if there wasn't no, for No, I had LA. to be
1: here. Yeah. I had to be here. For, those
0: early, for those early foundational years. Fa-
1: yes, foundational. I mean, uh, I learned everything through Roger Corman, uh, how, to, how to structure, uh, how to deal with the day, a shooting day, a shooting schedule. Because prior to that, we made our student films when the cameras were available. You know, I, I tried to make a feature, called, wound up being called Who's That Knocking? It took several years. Haig Mnuchin came in and helped me with that, too. I was an instructor at NYU at the time. But, you know, at a certain point, you need the actor. It's five months later, and the guy's got to come back, and he's got a different hairstyle, and I'd say, You know, uh, it became, it became. Uh, there was no structure to the actual production, and there was no structure. What I mean by that is that when you're making a picture by the second day, maybe oh, sometimes the third day or fourth day, you don't want to get up. Uh-huh. I mean, a lot. Of, it happens to a lot of people. You don't want to get up. I mean, you do want to get up, but you can't. Right. <laughs> but you have to. Okay? In a student film, when you get the camera, you shoot for two to three days and nights, and then everybody collapses. Right. Right. I, I'm just saying in that time. Right. I don't know about now. Yeah. Um, and so uh, it was very, very. Uh, the equipment was very rare, and uh, it was very difficult to get the, the good equipment. There was one 16-millimeter Araflex. We had to fight for that. Um, eventually shot in 16-millimeter Eclare, which we had to rent. But in any event... Um, Uh, I learned, I had to come out to California to uh, really learn how to make a picture. Roger Corman picked me up and did Boxcar Bertha, and that's where I learned how to do a film uh, in 24 days, uh, you know, uh, on schedule, on time, laid out every shot, drew every picture, and applied that with the same crew to Mean Streets. Now,
0: between those, the thing that happened, though, between those two films, I believe, from what I I understand, is that you meet your hero, Cassavetes, and he's pretty frank with you,
1: right? Yes, he was. He was. Uh, I met Cassavetes in New York. Uh, Let me see. It was, who's that knocking had just been finished. And um, I believe it was 68, 68. And Jay Cox of Time Magazine, we became friends. And he screened the picture for him. And he loved it. John loved it. I have my own reservations about the picture except for one or two scenes, but he really liked it. Yep. And he liked it for, for reasons which uh, for which I don't like, but meaning <laughs> it's too personal, you know? Right, right. In any event, um, he encouraged me, and he became a friend. Um, during that—it was the period when Husbands came out. Yes. That's what it was. He came down to my mother and father's apartment on Elizabeth well, Street know. and brought Peter Falk over. Everybody had dinner. It was really great. Wow. It was really great. And so— When I moved out to L.A., first first person, I I went to stay at his house for a little while with Jenna Rollins and him. Wow. And the kids. Um, And um, uh, I was working as an editor. Uh, Woodstock, uh, Well, uh, Woodstock was one of them, and then I was taken off that. I wound up coming to L.A. to do a film uh, at Warner Brothers. Uh, There was a film shot by Francois Rieschenbach, and they wanted me to put it together. So I did that, but I was not in the union. I was not a union editor. Mm -hmm. I was supervising Mm -hmm. um, in effect. Uh, in any I don't know how that works sorry if I uh, get into any kind of different union troubles guys I'm sorry it's a long time <laughs> Statue of limitations Statute yeah. will you? I mean Corman you were not union editor right. so I was working as an editor for Corman too right. did right. Unholy Rollers a number of other pictures I edited right. in, any, in any event um, so what happened was that we uh, Roger did say as soon as I moved out to LA he met with me and said uh, you made Who's That Knocking I like it uh, there's a film that uh, uh, sort of a Bonnie and Clyde uh, genre Mm -hmm. called Boxcar Bertha, and I'd like you to make it. But I'll be going away for a few months, and when I come back, we'll meet. So I took any meeting at that time, and I said, yes, absolutely. And I didn't ever think of meeting him again. Right. I just went to the editing room, kept working and working. It was a difficult time, got through it. And then in a few months, he did call. He did call. And I was working at that point, um, supposedly editing sound effects for Minnie and Moskowitz for John. Oh, wow. Yeah, for Cassavetes. In fact, when they called, John's assistant picked up the phone, and uh, uh, it was my agent at uh, William Morris, Irv Schechter, and Irv said, I got Marty, I want Marty Scorsese, we have a, the film that he's got to meet with raji he's got to direct this film, and they thought it was a joke, they hung up <laughs> 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 hung up the phone on Irv, oh, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, I, they said, there's this guy who called, what, are you <laughs> kidding, <laughs> so anyway, I made the picture, right. first person I showed it to was John, and, um, in the meantime, I've been trying to work on what became Mean Streets. Right, right, you know, right. Working on that from 66, I'd say, to 71 on yeah, the script. Yeah. Yeah. Changing it and changing it. And everything that everything that Who's That Knocking, I couldn't really deal with, became Mean Streets. Wow. You know, I meaning I couldn't deal with meaning that it wasn't quite right. I didn't have right. the concept. I didn't have, I was reaching too far too soon, you know, but... Um, it's good to reach to fail.
0: Sure, sure. You know? But but what John said after Well, seeing John Star- looked at
1: it and he looked at me. But you see, the thing Casavetti is very interesting. He had warmth, he had heart, because he looked at me. A couple of my friends looked at me and turned away <laughs> after seeing it. Yeah. Like Yeah. I, I you know they shook their heads, turned away. Wow. Yeah. John looked at me. I was in his office at Universal and he looked at me, he started <laughs> he started laughing with his arms like this and he goes, Come here. And he embraced me and said, looked at me and said, you just spent a year of your life making a piece of crap. (laughs) He said, don't do that again. He said, yes, it was good. You liked the certain things you did in there. And you liked the the girl is good and David's good and all that. And Barry and everybody and Bernie Casey. But, you know, come on, don't do that again. Don't do it. You don't make that kind of film. I mean, you learn what you learn, use it. You have the, the script that you're working on, yes. Attach an actor to it, get it made.
0: And the idea was that it, that because it's personal to you, you will do something better.
1: Well, he just saw, and who's that knocking? That it was a different kind of, that I, I, I was very much enamored of the um, studio system films. Yeah. But I was also split between, because at five years old, I had seen on television in New York in 1949 or 48, um... Uh, the uh, 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 neorealist films, the Italian films. And I saw that that was a dire- that was closer to us because it was speaking the same language. Right. My grandparents were there in the room crying, uh, watching uh, Paisa. Yeah. Uh, Open City, uh, Rome Open City, Bicycle Thieves, um, and so uh, Shoeshine. And so that was as real as Wizard of Oz.
0: Right, right.
1: As real as Gene Kelly in The Three Musketeers. Right. You know what I'm saying? As real as Duel in the Sun. So how do you, could you do a similar thing in that system? Could you, could, and so I was always drawn that way. And I think Casavetti's picked that up. He really, I think, wanted me to probably just to explore what interested me um, and not to fall into, um, I think in his mind, I'm speaking, I can't really speak for him, but in his mind, um uh, not to fall into a studio system type of picture. Now, at that time, studio system types are uh, one kind. Now they're different. Right, right. Now the studio is almost obsolete. It's something else.
0: So the the main Streets, which you've said was uh, semi-autobiographical, this pull yes. between, you know, doing the right thing and doing, you know, religion, just all the elements oh, there. Oh, yeah.
1: How, how could you live a, a life of... Uh, uh, with any kind of morality, it's based on any kind of morality and and spirituality, not religion. Because religion right. you have, but the religion has to have a, a core of spirituality to it. I, I'm that's a big statement, and you can uh. argue and argue and argue on something like that for years. But I, but there sometimes is a difference, you know. Um, sometimes you just have the surface, you have the ritual, but what's 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 the heart of it? The heart is the spirituality in life, you know. And um, uh, you know, how could you do that while all this around you. and I can't even, I mean, I, you know, along with the real power that I saw, the church took care of people. There's no doubt. They really did. The older people, the young, they tried their best on and, and the Lower East Side in the 50s and 60s. But with organized crime around you, the power was there. The power was really these men who were on the street corners or in front of the social clubs.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. You know,
1: and by the way, some of them, good very. i grew up around them yeah you know i just know them and they were great uh i mean meaning they were like really very nice to me there were others who were not right he just stayed away and as my father said don't bother though don't go over there <laughs> <laughs> the other guys is not too bad but don't don't make noise in front of that club right you know you make noise you kids you're in London. don't sit on the car <laughs> that was the other thing well, don't go near that car <laughs> the cars were parked. you know they, they had the cars no nope, we didn't have cars right So the other thing is common sense, like anything else. A bunch of kids (laughs) running around throwing things, and get it, you get in trouble. You're, I'm going to tell your father.
0: (laughs) Right now, Main Street's obviously was also the beginning of something that continues exactly. Well, it was 50 years later that Killers comes out. So in between, there's there's a total of Uh, ten movies with with Bob De Niro. Exactly. Now
1: the thing is that Bob was down there in Little Italy. Yeah, and when he was 16, I didn't. I remember him, but he was with another group on Kenmare Street or Broom Street, they were a little, it was a place called the Alto Knights, uh, kind of a, again, a kind of social club. But, you know, the neighborhood was broken up, apparently. I mean, Nick Pelagic can give you more detail on this. I didn't know. I was, uh, there were apparently different clubs that were, or social clubs that were dealing with, that were part of different crime families. Uh, The, uh, oh, I don't know, you know, famous, uh, the, the, uh luciano yeah. and then there was the uh the ones who got into trouble but all the people on president street in brooklyn that's uh, uh gallop and they were there were they were there were the wars this 1960 wars it was really? happening there yeah, yeah it was all happening there on hester street on on mulberry mulberry was the key that street and so um uh you know um but you and De Niro knew each other as he, kids? He was, yeah, as kids. I mean, he was over with them, younger boys. He yeah, wasn't yeah. with the wise guys I'm talking about. He was with yeah, yeah, yeah. the kids hanging around that area right. up and on Broom Street. They were a little tougher. And so we never really got along with them, but we liked him. Yeah. We liked him. We knew him. Um, and years later, it was 71, I think it was, Brian De Palma worked with him on uh, uh, hey, Hi Mom, this film that he made, After Greetings. Right. And greetings also was the other key, you know, because I'd opened that one, the Golden Bear or whatever, in, in, or Silver Bear in uh, Berlin, and that's when Hollywood thought, oh, well, we can make money on these crazy independent films. And right. suddenly we were all, you know. So between that and Shadows and, you know, in any event, uh, I was more towards Shadows, of course. It was a different kind of thing for me. But in terms of um, Bob, uh, it, De Palma said, you oh, you have to meet him. You have to meet him. And I didn't know. I didn't realize. And so Jay Cox and Verna Bloom, who married him, I was 72, I think. I was 71. And then we had a Christmas dinner in their apartment on 83rd Street or 82nd Street, whatever. I walk up and a uh, small apartment. And it was him and me and uh, De Palma, and Jay and Verna. And afterwards, we are sitting in the other room and uh, Bob was sitting there and I was sitting opposite him and he said, You used to be friends with Curdy, right? I said, Yeah. He said, Joe Morali." I said, Yeah. He said, Nikki the Hat. Ah, huh? Frankie Aquilino. I said, "Yeah." Huda Brown says, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." How do you? I said? I'm Bobby. <laughs> I said, "You're Bobby. You mean Bobby from?" Chem-? He says Yeah. I didn't recognize you. Said, <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> he said, "Yeah, I've been down. I've been doing this stuff." And I'm like, "You're kidding!" And so then I showed him who's that knocking, and he he understood. Even though uh, the film's not really there, he understood that I I knew that world, and I knew the people in the world, and it was. Authentic may not be the right word, but it was as truthful as possible. And so, when it came time for Mean Streets, I asked him to be in it. Um, and that again was put together. Jay Cox met, uh, and Verna had me meet Jonathan Taplin, yeah, who had been the, uh, I think, um, tour manager for uh, the band. I think, I went Or to work with Al Grossman, Albert Grossman. And so we met, and uh, uh, I just made boxcar Bertha. At least I knew how then to apply the shooting day. Right. You get up, it doesn't matter. You get up, you get there, you keep going. (laughs) See, the thing with Corman was interesting because that picture uh, dealt with railroads and uh, locomotives and trains. And he had us do all all the train scenes, which are very difficult, not as difficult as boats, but really big because for take two, the train has to back up. Yeah. And you got to come back and you got to wait and you lose time. And so he had us do all the train scenes in four days. The first four days, said so you do the hardest stuff first, and you you'll be you'll get that over with. And he was right. So he you, was right. You were ready by the time Mean Streets. Yeah, we were ready to go. Mean Streets. him I broke it up. Shot a lot of it in L.A. Yeah. based on uh, the uh, uh, meaning uh, interiors. Yeah. A lot of the interiors, as best I could. Uh, but a lot in New York too. And
0: uh, I mean, the thing though with with you and De Niro, you will forever be associated with each other. No, but yeah, no. no, no. Yeah. And, I, and but I, and just looking at that relationship and the work you guys have done all the way through the present. I mean, you I've seen you say it really was sort of cemented on taxi driver, the the friendship. Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, you after New York, New York, you've said you had a a tough period where he was the one that kind of pulled you out of the funk with Raging Bull and you didn't really want to do King of Comedy. I mean, these stories are but what what is it uh, having seen him all the way up through through Killers what is it that makes him as great as obviously he is? But can you
1: pinpoint his through his evolution? Now, well, yeah. I mean, I mean, his evolution. I can't speak for him personally in yeah. terms of what his own choices and what he does. But up to that point, and even when we started working together again when we did uh, Casino and uh, even Cape Fear, um, but then it took about 19 years before we did Irishman. Right. But you know, he's the only person who really knows where I came from. Mm-hmm. And he knows what it was like. And, and look, I'm not saying what it was like as a negative way, negative and positive. And he understands. It doesn't mean we have to live like that or we have to think like that, but he knows what it is. He isn't making it up. And he knows I'm not making it up. Now, that also applies to other kinds of characters. It doesn't necessarily mean only, uh, you know, uh, organized crime or, or uh, New York stories or that sort of thing. It deals with, I think, a trust that we had and a kind of interesting, interesting. Um, hmm. we're very, very similar in our, our, uh, and who we are as
0: people, even though you know you like to express yourself in, oh, he, yeah, no, he doesn't, he
1: doesn't, doesn't, yeah. he doesn't. interesting. But that, that was, uh, but, we, but, but there was something there that, you know, uh, I'd feel I could tell if he felt, um, uh, irritated by something. I was irritated, but I reacted another way. He reacted interior another way. And so I could feel that. And it was like a fine mechanism. Um, but also he just understood what I, who I was and what I was doing and what I tried to do. And it's so
0: poetic and, that, that, you know, he's the one who introduced you to your other great. Uh, oh, Leo. Collaborator, Leo. And I mean, with you and Leo, it's now six movies starting with gangs. Then you, uh, I think he's the one that wanted to do aviator. And then of course, We've got departed Shutter Island, Wolf of Wall Street, and now Killers. And I wonder. So you've really worked with him as he's become gone from a boy to a man. Yes.
1: On on on, uh, that wasn't quite. We didn't quite realize that, but we kept just doing it because he had a sense. um, He seems to to have um, even though there's a thirty years difference. There's really, and I've said this before. He has a similar uh, take on life and interests. Um, he also is as you or as Bob. as me, okay, and also to a certain extent as Bob. Yeah, you know. Uh, but it'll go. Uh, he's also open minded to the point where he'll look at something or listen to something and bring me. I always talk about this, but he'll bring me and say, "Listen to this. It's the Mills Brothers." Huh. I said, "Yeah, I grew up with that, <laughs> 1940s, right?" You know, or he'll say, "Listen to this," and it's uh, it's uh, Cab Calloway or Louis Jordan or. Uh, uh, and so it, it, not just music, yeah, you see, yeah. and some new music, of course, but like it's, it, but something happened, I guess, when we did Aviator where I could see, I didn't, I didn't intend it, but I went through it with him, which was a growing process, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know, as, as an actor, yes, but also as a person. And so that kind of was like very bonding. I,
0: I think, think you've talked about it was like uh, the scene in the screening room. where Yeah, the scene in
1: the screening room right. was the
0: one that did it. He just tra- sort of changed?
1: or Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it happened. And I, I didn't, I was there, and I guess I guided it without intending to. In other words, I was just helping and moving and shaping and directing. And I don't know what they call directing. And then it happened. And uh, something transcended the work. As a person. And it was really interesting. And then the next picture then pushed even further and further and keeps further. Going, yeah. 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 Now, when
0: Bob recommended Leo to you, they had worked on this boy's life, right? And you said he's he's never recommended somebody to you before, <laughs> no. maybe since. I don't know. But what was what was it that he said made Leo great? And then part B to this question is you've now worked closer with these two guys than anybody. Yeah. Do they share? things in common or do they work totally differently
1: um i work differently really yeah 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 uh, uh, it more um uh, bob is more internal mm-hmm. and then suddenly you know it'll be the odes of pandar he'll suddenly speak <laughs> and it's like brilliant and uh, you know grab it and put it in there right. <laughs> you know, grab the, and suddenly it's emotional and truthful and then that's it yeah uh, next you nice. won't. You won't. You know it'll happen again later. But you got to be there. Right. Uh, <laughs> and or like the other night, Jim. That's all I'm going to say. That's it. <laughs> and that was the end of it. He told me something. Said, That's all I'm going to say. Right. And it was beautiful. Right. And uh, Leo, we talk and talk and talk, but in, in a good way. Do you think he's he a lot? Of, you? A lot of a lot of uh, playing and twisting and turning and all the talk, all the I should say talk. It's conversation, it's thoughts, it's ideas, it's thing, pulling things out of the air. It's like, And it, it really is rehearsal.
0: Would it be overanalyzing it to say, you know, the relationship with you and Bob is like brothers, but you and Leo is father-son? or Probably.
1: Is, you think yeah. it's more brothers? I think it mm, could be. It uh, could be. I never had a son. I have uh, all daughters and granddaughters.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> feel, he feels...
1: He's a little like that. Little. He's a little like that. So.
0: Now... You uh you seem to have always loved the moving camera, not just, you know, and I wonder, I know you were a uh Samuel Fuller, Michael Pell student of these guys and got to know many of them and and all that. I just wonder when I think about the camera inside the ring in Raging Bull, the tracking shot through the Copa Cabana and Goodfellas, right through the stuff on the streets and killers where we're you're there's it's I guess. Where does that desire, that interest to have a, a, a non-static uh, um, camera, yeah, where does uh, that come from? It
1: comes from music. Really? It was when I was a child, uh, uh, again, my father's 78 record collection. He bought a lot of records, and a lot of them were uh, swing music, uh, Benny Goodman, and Tommy Dorsey, and that sort of thing, but primarily I, I fell in love with these records by Django Reinhardt and the hot club of France, Stefan Grappelli and Django Reinhardt. And I would play them constantly. And suddenly I would sit as a five-year-old or whatever. These images would come to mind. It was all, all I guess like Fantasia in a sense, you're imagining all these abstract images and there was always movement. It was movement. You could just listen to anything these guys played and it moved. Um, it's as if they were flying around the room, you know, uh, or no, they used to say Paganini. If you ever watched him play, you could see the devil you know, flying around the violin. <laughs> but they create this kind of uh, uh, other uh, experience that's not just music, you know. And that did something to me as a child, and I kept and I loved the moving. I just loved them um, for some reason. I couldn't say. I can't tell you. But you always talk about the red shoes Well, and yeah about, are these... well the red shoes I so my father took me to see it. I was 10 years old yeah. and uh, that was an experience because you know again in a in a situation like that I'm looking at ballet I never see ballet but the ballet sequence in the film which was the first one to do by the way the first one the first film to do that stop a movie for 20 minutes
0: out of and American a ballet. Paris, yeah and
1: American in paris came from that yeah yeah so um and it's equally it, it's quite beautiful but uh, 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 the red shoes. What happens in that ballet sequence is that you don't really see the the dancer fully from head to toe, um, which uh, for a lot of ballet um, uh, connoisseurs they were very, very upset by that. But uh, rather, you see what's in the mind, you've what's what the dancer is experiencing and what they think they see. And so I utilized that idea for the boxing scenes in in uh, Raging Bull, where you stay in the ring and you perceive. Um, you perceive the reality or unreality, you know, uh, whatever perception he, whatever whatever he perceives, you, you feel through him, you know, in sound, picture, the ring gets bigger, the ring gets smaller, uh, camera goes flying. All of this sort of thing uh, was designed um, based on that, you know. Um, so for me, it's always about movement. Um, until I stopped moving, until I think... Oh, I don't know. Until, I mean, after doing uh, the Copacabana scene and enraging in, in, Raging, in uh, Goodfellas, um, that was a time when you couldn't stitch it together. Uh, you you couldn't, had, there was no CGI. I did have a steady cam, and we had Larry McConaughey, he was the greatest, and Michael Bullhouse, you know, Joe Reedy, uh, my AD, without those guys, could not have done it. And they they had to actually go through the building from the street with a camera and with lights and with you know so it was really physical uh, you know it was not it was not uh, in a studio with a wonderful crane which right. I would have loved to have done you know um loving max Ophel's camera moves loving uh, yeah. fuller and, and his uh, expressive m- movements and cuts anything by hitchcock you know uh and so for me after doing that i felt that um, i had explored i thought um the long take as 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 I could sure. um, I preferred like what Brian De Palma did in his long takes how he would design so that suddenly by the end of the take or the end of the or the tracking shot suddenly there's a story point that happens right. like in uh, Untouchables where the young man has killed a, a, a Jim Morton Smith I think his name is his shot in the elevator but that's at the end of a long right. incredible tracking shot it's beautiful yeah. you know and so I don't know if I could do that I don't know if I want to do it anymore you know and uh, I'm going, uh, you know, I'm just seeing what, trying to explore what I can do visually at this point in my life. Sure. Uh, explore it in another way.
0: So the other thing that's that's always great, one one of, you know, many things, but another thing that's always great with your films is the the editing. And I know that this brings up Thelma Stuma. Oh, Thelma, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I want to, you know, just note that you guys, I think she's done every one of your films since Raging Bull. Since Raging Bull. Right, and and uh, Right Through Killers. And so f- how did that relationship begin? And also, is there any rhyme or reason for why so many of the greatest film
1: editors going back to the silent era were women? I don't know why that, that is the case. But you'd have to ask uh, some younger person. I think maybe they can look back. Seriously, a person who can look back and make sense of it all. I don't know. And there were so many, apparently, so many women in the business before they were wiped out. At least uh, Guy Blaché. I mean, yeah. you know, they were struggling. Lois Weber. This was amazing stuff, the new stuff that we've seen. And um, so many. Um, in the case of uh, Thelma, uh, we were met at NYU in uh, 1963 and she was not in film, you know. We met at a film course, but she was not in film. Mm-hmm. And um, so she, she really. Uh, we, we later in the late '60s edited some documentaries together, just working. Uh, but she was more a political scientist. Uh, she went to, I think, Columbia. Uh, Nabakov was her, was one of her professors. I mean, she's in a different a different world. Um, uh, if I could say, and it, it, cinema is not. Her main uh, interest, put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Especially at that time, it was different. It was a different thing. Um, she stayed on in Woodstock. I I left, um, and for the nine years or so in between, um, I had worked a, a bit with Marsha Lucas, uh, yes. um, but primarily I cut Main Streets myself. I cut Box Out, but I couldn't take the credit because it was not union. Right. Um, and Sid Levin who was a terrific editor at that time. He worked for Monte. He took the, uh, I gave I gave him the credit, and he <laughs> and he got a, he got slammed in Variety for that. Uh, the editing was choppy. <laughs> poor guy, poor guy. I, I felt terrible. That's but hilarious. anyway, he was really he was working down the hall. I said, "Sid, you want to put your name on this?" And he helped me with a few. Cuts. I said, "Great." But um, in any event, uh, I found that during that period, the transition of the kind of filmmaker I was, I was trying to be, um, it didn't really fit with um, the way the system worked here in terms of the editors. Uh, although I got some, a couple of pros that came in that did some a couple of things in my pictures, that were terrific. Yeah. And I said, don't touch it, it's beautiful. Mm. But I, I found that nobody would listen to me. And I just wanted somebody who would let me direct them yeah. and that I could cut with them. And since I started as an editor, by the time Raging Bull was about to be made, I realized that uh, Marsha had stopped working. Um, and so I had to start all over again. And so I called her. And she was in Pittsburgh, I think, doing something in television or whatever. And uh, she said, I don't know how to cut a feature. I said, don't worry about that. Well, that's that's what I want. The, the You bring the, um, uh, in a sense, uh what you don't know, we're going to. That's the beauty of it. We will, we will, we will discover, and this way you're not you're not locked in with any rules, particularly industry rules. Right. I'm saying the industry rules are bad. I'm just saying we're making a different kind of film.
0: No, you guys. Are.
1: And so that's it. And by the end of that, she was in the union. Uh, she won the Oscar, I think, yes. for it. So, so I mean, um, and so we stayed that way because um, there's a trust. I also know that if something happened and the studio would try to take the picture, she wouldn't go with it.
0: Right. She's
1: loved Other it. editors would. Right. And it, it's happened in the history because they work in the studios, understandably. Um, but this was something special. Each picture we made, she she felt as if she was making something special with me, and we got along, and we, uh, you know, it's been a crazy time, and uh, we wound up making this film, Killers.
0: Absolutely. Now, Killers, I want to just preface a question about killers with with a bit of a wind-up, so bear with me. Okay. Because of Mean Streets, Goodfellas, Casino, Gangs of New York, Departed, and The Irishman, you're obviously very associated with the gangster genre. But you've also made films, obviously, that are completely different. We've got The Age of Innocence, We'll Remind People, is period drama. We've got Hugo, a family film. We've got uh, sort of, I guess we could call it the trilogy of films about faith, Last Temptation of Christ, Kundun, Silence... Killers in a way, isn't it sort of an amalgam
1: of all of these? I I, I think you're right. I, I, you know, maybe that's why I felt I just stuck with it and all this was coming at me. And somehow having gone through those projects and having gone through Irishman, because a lot was culled away in Irishman. I know it's a long movie, but what I mean is culled away with style Mm -hmm. and getting to the heart. Especially towards the end when they get older, and this is something that uh, uh, I felt for some reason I couldn't articulate it, but I felt it was it was the right time and it was the right story to immerse myself in, in all these elements to come together. Style too, you know, in style too, and to to provoke the audience too in terms of length, in a sense. I know it's a it's a lengthy picture, and uh, I found that uh, many people feel that. Uh, I've seen it. They said, I want to see it again immediately. Totally. So it's an odd, it's an interesting thing. Um, but uh, all these elements did come together in this picture. There's no doubt. Um,
0: and and the film, as you've spoken about before, uh, you know, even a lot of people as, as they uh, distinguish themselves in their career, as they... As they get older, they're inflexible about things. You, meanwhile, signed up for one movie and ended up making a totally telling a totally different yes. story uh, here. Yeah. Can you just
1: share why that pivot occurred? Well, because I, uh, no matter what we did, based on David Grant's book and um, which was quite quite good, uh, no matter what we did, I found that I'd seen it before. I had seen it before done much better. <laughs> you can't compete with these people. What are you kidding? let alone Ford Hawks, you know, Bedecker, you know, Delma Daves. Come on. Because
0: you wanted to do a Western.
1: Oh, but I couldn't. I know I couldn't do a Western because a Western deals to a certain extent with archetypes too.
0: Right.
1: And the archetype is almost like a fable or a fairy tale. The archetype could be really great. I mean, Shane is an archetype, although he's humanized though, um, uh, Alan Ladd's character. But with the archetype, you lose intimacy, And for me, I I don't know what to do with an archetype. I want the intimacy. Mm. And so here it seemed to fall into place and not from the other way in, not from the outside in with the the good work that those guys did uh, when they came in the Bureau of Investigation with Tom White and all of them, they did, they did a great job, but I had seen it before. And when I, when I went to Oklahoma, when I started meeting with the Osage, um, and I realized it was a love story. And Leo did too, after a while, after COVID, or right before COVID hit.
0: Because you guys he, got paused. Yeah,
1: he looked at me and he said, what do you think? Uh, and he said, um, and we had tried like hell for two years on that script. And you know, what do you think? He said, where's the heart? I said, the heart is the story of Molly and Ernest. So he looked at me and said, well, what if I play Ernest? Okay, <laughs> if you did, because that's where I was going. Yeah. Yeah. We were trying to balance the police procedural with the story of Molly and Ernest, right? and it wasn't working. It just was not working. Let's take out the police procedural, bring them in at the end, mm-hmm. and let's go with them. That's amazing.
0: A couple months ago in November, I had the opportunity to go see you and Steven Spielberg do a conversation about Keller's The Flower Moon. And it was uh, fascinating, but also just the uh, how obvious the um, affection and respect you two have for each other is. And I wonder, you know, you guys are the faces of this film school generation, right? And I want to ask you how that friendship began, but also about—I've uh, been putting together an oral history about the 30th anniversary of Schindler's List. And I learned that at one point you were going to direct it. Yeah. Uh, and that he ended up directing
1: it. I uh, was involved with the project, and uh, um, I, uh, it had just come off Last Temptation of Christ. Mm-hmm. And there was a lots of, uh, being Catholic uh, or trying to be Catholic, um, it hit home. There was a lot of um, uh, controversy and difficulty and a lot of uh, blame was put on the uh, Jewish community, which totally threw me. I was so naive. I didn't understand. And so I was very, very sensitive to um, uh, reactions, reactions. but with the Catholic one, I could I could argue. Other groups had to be very careful. And so I asked uh, Steve Alien to come on. and you know, did the script. but by the end of it, I felt that uh, um, I felt that I don't know if there was any controversy that would come up. I don't know if I could have uh, stood my ground in terms of, who the man was, and who the what was really going, what was going on here and there in Poland, and this, I I, I thought I was on on a uh, in a situation that um, uh, I didn't want to do more harm to the Jewish community, it, which totally shocked me when Temptation came out, you know, completely. And so I know it was Steve's uh, uh, passion project for many many years, so
0: gave it back. And was it, is it true, it was sort of a, a, a trade? Like, is that how you got no, Cape, Fear? Really. No, like Cape
1: Fear? No, well, Cape Fear was De Niro and him who wanted me to do it. And also Cape Fear was a payback. The payback uh, at that time was for Last Temptation. Tom Pollack, all of them, you know, uh, Casey Silver, everybody was there. We all, it, uh, the payback had a deal with Universal. You know, they allowed, they allowed the Temptation of Christ to happen. I helped them with the Schindler's thing. And I did Cape Fear and Casino. Got it. You know, as Mike Ovitz told me, and Tom was great and everything. But Mike Govitz says they'll they'll distribute this picture. They'll get this picture made for you. So, but they're going to want that pound of flesh. Mm. Wow. Yeah. But so I gave them flesh. That's why I lost some weight. But it was good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, so it, and the thing that's amazing, one of one of the many things that's amazing about you is how open you are to. Evolving technologies. You've done 3D with Hugo. You've done de aging with Irishman. Uh, You're working with streamers on Irishmen and now with Killers. But obviously, more than anybody else in the world, probably, I think you know and care about the the traditions and history of the of the in, of the business and Hollywood. And so I just I wonder what you you know were you surprised as it be- as it's become kind of this dilemma, I guess, this conversation out in the world about Sort of the M- Scorsese and Marvel and stuff like that, where it's like these two different ideologies of cinema. And I'm, I'm not. I think you articulated it very well. That people should go read your New York Times op-ed. The New York Times
1: op-ed is yeah. really, is really the explanation. The films are made beautifully, yeah, that sort of thing. But uh, you know, I still stand with that. I mean, yeah. obviously, um, I'm. I was concerned that uh, the blockbuster have um, that the blockbuster is something though, like the, the Steven made or. Chris Nolan makes or David Lean made, you know, um, that it's not only right. Marvel. You follow? Because they I'm displaced
0: afraid, from cinema. Yeah, yeah,
1: but I'm afraid that the younger uh, generation now will think cinema is only that, because that's the big show. You have this great sound, you've got, you're in there. And then I also feel sometimes um, that it's more of a, um, the more you need other elements in order to experience the, 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 presentation, whether it's uh, chairs that move or, you know, uh, a, a scents being thrown into- yeah, smell of vision The more you need, it's not really movies. I don't know what it is. Right. You know, it's something else. It's something that's, because if you see it without that, it isn't as effective. Right. If you see it on its own, on a small screen at home, it's not as effective. I don't think it is. You have to f- have the full experience. Now, you could see, you could say, well, Marty, for God's sake, you went to see Around the World, 80 Days in Todd A.O., and it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's a very good film, no. but what a production. Right. To go around the world and shoot all that and show it on that giant screen. See it on a small screen, it doesn't work, but you could still feel it. You could still feel it. it's a film and it has a narrative, um, and there are people that you could identify, you know, empathize with or whatever. Um, it tells a story. Right. Um, the story here again is, again, gets, and as I say, a, get into areas of archetypes again. Right. And, uh, you know, even if you go back to the Iliad and the Odyssey, they're, they're not, the arch, the archetype supposedly is there. Is Odysseus really, as Ulysses, is he really an archetype? I don't know. I don't think so. You know, look at the new uh, translation by Emily Watson, uh, Wilson, where she says, the story of a complicated man. <laughs> First two lines. Right. Story of a complicated man complicated man, but he is an archetype in a sense, I guess. But he is so complicated. That means he's very human and it's intimate, you know? And we've been remaking that for two thousand, three thousand years. So <laughs>
0: it's well, last two things, if I may, I just want to first ask you if you you know, obviously you read what and hear what people think about you, the admiration and the how how you've influenced so many people and all of that. But you've you've also been so busy i the the um, how prolific you've been is it's incredible and so i just wonder do you ever actually have or take the time to sort of sit back and think about this asthmatic kid from little italy has had the imp, who loved movies the impact that you yourself have had on so many filmmakers filmmaking how, what do you, how do you process no, that? No, I don't.
1: I don't. I, I haven't. I mean, when you talk about the kid in the Lower East Side, yeah, because I was kept from everything, I had to use my imagination. Whatever I'm pulling from that imagination in my little room that I, I was stuck in, you know, and that's the happiest I am when I'm in that editing room and my old friend is there at Thelma and we're cutting together. It's like that kid in the room drawing pictures, you know. Uh, but I don't get, I, I can't really tell. Uh, people have been very kind and very sweet to me over the years, particularly the past twenty years, twenty-five years, and uh, I, I can't tell immediately. I can't really fathom that. Um, there's so many other great filmmakers, and I. Um, there's so many that I admire. So many new, so many new people coming out with the new technology. You know, we don't know where cinema is going to go. You know, whether it's you could say Marvel here, yes, but you also got somebody making a film coming out of West Africa. That's amazing. You know, and you got somebody coming out of Indonesia making a picture, and you got people in, in Hong Kong. Making, I mean, so it's really and and what I mean by that is utilizing technology in a new way. And you see it in the academy, you see the South Korean film Parasite, for example, is finally is appreciated. South Korean films. I was at twenty years before Parasite. I'd been watching them, but I'm talking about uh, uh, you know uh, um, Hang Sang Su and, and um, you know all, all the other all the other. Uh, great South Korean filmmakers. And so there seems to be um, cinema has now become, it's beyond international. It's it's really a special form of expression. And so I can't quite tell. Well, I can't quite tell. People tell me, and that's kind of nice. <laughs> well, you but know, there's, there's so many, I'm, I'm saying there's so many other ways. Look at Chantal Ackerman's films, for example. Sure. There's so many other ways. Hold that camera static, static rather than moving. Right. Uh, you know, there's a, there's, there's a um, uh, the pacing is really interesting. I get worried about here the pacing being so fast, but I'm responsible for some of that, <laughs> okay? But that's where I speak, and I wanted to tell yeah. Goodfellas that story, and I like a stand-up, you know, like a stand-up. And so, you know, but yet... What gets me in the culture is the quickness of the image and it there's um, is a sense of um, an emptiness then of the image it doesn't it doesn't um it, it's not profound it doesn't stay with you and uh, that's where we need the balance in American cinema we need that balance you see between something that uh, that could you could enjoy but at the same time something that maybe a year later you, you it's still part of you in a way
0: Well, it's kind of poetic because, you know, reading about that first trip to L.A. that you took where you're at the Producers Guild Awards, where you're about to go. I'm about to go. (laughs) Right. But you were there and you're looking around. Oh, my God, it's.
1: David Selznick. Right. uh, Sam Goldwyn. Cary Grant. um, uh, You know, uh, oh, my God, Gene Seberg, Maureen O'Hara, Jimmy Stewart. I mean, everybody on the dais.
0: And so now that's that's you. Um, But just as a final question here, I mean, you have said there's no. Slowing down, you are. You have many things you want to do, and and you've talked a little bit about. You know, we've got, in fact, in the last uh, day or so, that uh, there's going to be a film about uh, based on a, a book about Jesus. There's, I'd heard a rumbling that you and Thelma wanted to do something about Michael Powell. Oh, we've oh, done it. Oh, you've done it. Powell no, no, no I've
1: got to go back. There's two two more edits that we got to do, oh and I still God. haven't I gotten to them.
0: Can't wait to see. No, that. David
1: Hinton's directed it. Oh and, and, uh, but we, we together, yeah. moment, it's been on for about three years now and it's finally being oh, done. It's finally being that. finished.
0: And then we've got, I, I believe you've said an adaptation of Marilyn Robinson's Home. Home, yes. And Jack also. And so uh, well, just like w- for you, what's, what's the order of what's coming up and just how do you feel I,
1: you're, you're no slowing down? I don't think so. I think I need to, to take a break. This, because mm-hmm. of many different reasons and the, the, uh. Uh, one of the main key reasons is uh, you know the, the 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 love that we had making I don't know, we really loved making Killers of the yeah. Flower Moon with the Osage and all our friends uh, that I had to promote the picture and then there was the actor strike and I then had to really, really had promote. To promote it yeah and it has taken its toll
0: yeah
1: uh, it really has I would like to just like not shave for like a <laughs> week you know, take a little break. Yeah. Yeah, Take a break. Just not shave. Just do me a favor. Yeah. But like, um, you know, just take a little break, but I don't, I don't think I have the time anymore. So I've got to push ahead. Well, I
0: truly cannot thank you enough for so many hours of entertainment and for this last hour. And I, I just, it's, it's, uh, one of the highlights of my life. So thank Thank you 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 very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate it and would really appreciate you taking just a minute more to subscribe to the podcast and to leave us a rating and review on your podcast app and to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, where our handle is at Awards Chatter. On those platforms, we announce upcoming guests and provide details about special live recordings of the podcast that you can attend. Until next time, thanks again for tuning in.